Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and currently of Sports Info Solutions, joined here by Justin Stein, our fine producer, and the rest of the Sports Info Solutions Operations Department. And today we are here to talk about some things about a few different teams in the NFL that you might not realize that people may not know unless you've been studying these teams super closely. And uh, we're trying to bring that insight to you from the Sports Info Solutions experts right here. So first up, you might know him as our producer, but we know him as a real expert on football. And we are here to talk to Justin about the Los Angeles Rams. And we're going to ask specifically, we're going to ask the same question to each of the guys that come on today. We're going to start off with Justin here right off the bat. Justin, what is something about the Rams that's interesting that people don't realize or that people should be talking about more? There's a lot of interesting things about the Rams. Um, the most interesting thing for me as somebody who watches them, you know, every snap, every week is watching Aaron Donald play. Um, he's really that good. And if you just hear about him or see the highlights, you don't really appreciate how great he actually is. Uh, he gets double teamed on, seems like every play and, and still just, you know, he's, on, he's unblockable. I mean, so I see it in the numbers. I look at the pressure rates amongst defensive tackles, and Aaron Donald just about doubles other defensive tackles, the next best guys in the league. That, that's unreal. We don't see that with a lot of different – you know, you don't see the leading receiver with twice as many receiving yards as the next best guy. What, what is it about his game? What is it about what he does when you watch on a play-in and play-in-out basis? I mean, he was playing next to Nadamik and Sue last year, a guy we think is a pretty good player in his own right. What, what's the difference that you see that, that he's bringing to the, to the Rams on a snap-by-snap basis? It's just it's the explosion and the power and just the physical strength. Um, he is the first person off on the snap, and even if you do get two guys on him, the combination of power and him just being stronger than everybody else out there – makes it impossible to block him. Um, it, you know, he also has the short arms, which, um, you know, was kind of a knock on him coming out of college. I think sure. that's probably why he dropped a little bit. Set it up kind of the way he plays. I think it kind of works to his benefit a little bit. Interesting. He, he, can stay, he can stay physical and stay short and really kind of shed those double-team blocks. Yeah, you don't see guys with 35-inch arms just getting stuck on Aaron Donald and, and having an issue with it. Mm-hmm. You see him do a little shrug. You see him play – the hand games and stuff like that. He's more about the quick movements than he is about really you – know, he finds a way. If you want to keep him away from your body, he's going to find a way to get into you, and then and then it's over. For what, you know, like, what, like you're saying, once he gets into you, you can forget about it. Uh, we, had, we had the Howard Mudd um, throwback podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, it, you know, the old interview that Aaron did with Howard Mudd. And, how, and at, you know, Mudd famously talks about how he wants to short set everybody. He wants to get out there and, and be aggressive against somebody like Aaron Donald. Uh, you know, it's just amazing because it seems like if you're playing against him, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, would you rather have a huge, uh, a giant guy with all the strength in the world to try to handle him? No, because he's too quick. Um, and, and he, okay, what if we go a little undersized and we try to short set him and do that kind of stuff? You're just going to get beat that much more quickly. Um, yeah. So it's crazy what he brings to the table. Anything else that you wanted to bring, bring to uh, bring into focus about the Rams? Yeah, I think uh, on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, I know a lot has been made about Sean McVay's offense and, you know, his offensive genius and all that, especially leading into the Super Bowl, although it didn't manifest itself well in that game specifically. But, um, you know, for some people who don't watch the Rams every day and just hear about McVay's offense, um, 
it really is something special. Uh, so in 2017, the Rams went from, they ran 11 personnel 81% of the time, up from 56% of the time the previous year. Um, only one other team in the NFL ran uh, 11 over 70% of the time, and that was Detroit with 72%. Um, after the Rams had that success in 2018, so last season, the Rams were in 11 personnel 87% of the time, which is pretty crazy. Um, but maybe more crazy is there were 14 teams in the NFL who ran 11 personnel over 70% last year, up from two or one the year before that. So um, obviously, you know, you always hear it's a copycat league. Yeah. And that bared itself out. And, uh, you know, as the person who did the Rams participation, it's not just the 11 personnel, it's uh, the tight splits. So they'll line up, you know, all, all three receivers in the slot or tied up to the line. Everything's really, you know, it's kind of counter to what you see in college and kind of that the spread concepts where you're trying to get as much space as possible. The Rams keep everything tied on the line for the most part. And, um, after Cooper Cup went down last year, it wasn't just 11 personnel. It was the same three receivers on almost every play for every game, mm-hmm. which is even crazier that they're running the same – They're you know, it's kind of the same concepts uh, throughout the game, and they were still pretty much unstoppable all year. It's just it's, – it was fascinating to watch. And um, like I said, doing the participation of trying to see – trying to chart where the guys line up, um, it was shocking how – Difficult it was for people who were trying to chart the offensive pass. So trying to trying to figure out where everybody was lined up because it's just teams don't do that. So mm-hmm. you could see like, especially early in the year, our scouts who hadn't seen it were having some trouble with it. And then as the year went on and everybody started getting more comfortable with it. Um, and other people start yeah, getting it even yeah, more. Exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then it, but it was just, yeah, it was just kind of different than anything else anybody than anything anybody else was doing. So awesome! I love that you bring that up, and that's that's my favorite thing about the Rams' offense too. I don't think it's about their personnel group. I do think it's about the amount of, of outside zone that they run, and they keep hitting you with it that same look over and over again. But then what they do from a formation standpoint, like you mentioned, where the spread offense. We try to spread out amongst the whole line of scrimmage and make all that space. The Rams are more concerned with where they can take space down the field vertically, and they don't need to widen you out at the line of scrimmage. They actually are constricting you in there to, uh, you know, have guys in that it can be extra blockers like a Cooper Cup. But then also you get the two-way go on the routes. We see the Vikings do it a lot too now with those kind of nasty splits, those 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 tight slots with nobody outside of you. And then um, what that allows the the Rams to do is they can really attack the field vertically, especially in between the hashes where teams tend to be more dangerous throwing downfield than when they throw outside the hashes. And now all of a sudden you've got, you've got uh, a few different things that are attacking you and coming at you in different directions. You have to really account for, you know, stopping the run, stopping the two way go on these routes and then accounting for the the verticality going straight over the seam. Um, So much for playing, uh, you know, your base cover three against, against these sort of formations because they're going to be lined up to attack exactly where you're most weak from the jump. So I love that you bring that up. The amount that they do that, I think, really would surprise people if they were more tapped into it. Justin, thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you for uh, blessing us with your voice in addition to the uh, the fine mixing skills. And we will go around the office now, talk to a few of the other guys, and hear interesting things that they can tell us about the teams that they're experts on. Dan Forenbach, football operations coordinator here at SIS. 
I'm asking you the same question that I'm asking the other guys today. You are an expert on the Tennessee Titans. What is one thing that's interesting about the Titans that not enough people are realizing or should be talking about more? Thanks, Matt, for having me on the podcast. As many Titans fans know, the topic of this offseason has been Marcus Mariota's future. Will he be able to perform at a high enough level to continue his career with the Titans? Will he be able to be healthy enough to play at least a full season for the first time in his career? Titans made a lot of offseason moves. They did really well in the draft. They signed guys like Adam Humphreys, Roger Saffold, Cameron Wake, Ryan Tannehill, and then they made a big splash in the draft, drafted guys like A.J. Brown and a couple other players. Something interesting that the Titans, that people should take more note of, is Adam Humphreys' value. Adam Humphreys, mostly known for being a slot receiver, uh, according to our data, he ranked fifth among receivers who lined up primarily in the slot with a minimum of 25 targets in total points. This is right behind guys like Adam Thielen, Robert Woods, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster. His value at slot, I think, is very underrated. Other Titans last season, Corey Davis, he ranked 28th in total points from the slot. Tajay Sharp ranked 54th from the slot. And Taiwan Taylor, who they drafted a couple years ago, was ranked last among qualified receivers, having a negative total points value. I think Adam Humphreys will be one of the key acquisitions that they made this past offseason, and I am very excited to see how him and Mariota work together this upcoming season. You heard it here first. Adam Humphreys has similar value to guys like Juju Smith-Schuster out of the slot, could solidify that position for the Titans and help make all those other receivers. Corey Davis, I imagine you, you see him spending more time on the outside full-time full time player there, and you've got to be excited about him. I remember coming out, he was one of my favorite route runners. I think we saw it all year last year, the, the type of stuff that he can do, kind of just breaking people at different times, more consistent catching the ball this year. couple there with Adam Humphreys. Save me the Ryan Tannehill, though. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm also excited to see A.J. Brown. He was one of the highly ranked receivers coming out of the draft this past season. Rated high in our SIS football rookie handbook, so I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, he's a big slot guy, too. I think I can't remember in the handbook. We had him at about, what, 30% of his uh, uh, snaps were from the slot last year, I believe. Um, so it'll be interesting see, to see he him. I think he's a guy that can play inside and outside for sure. So he and Corey Davis being more probably the outside guys, Adam Humphrey sliding into the slot, all of a sudden a formidable set of weapons. We'll see if uh, Mariota can be the better for it. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. John Todd, one of our lead scouts inside the building. Thank you for coming back on the Off the Charts podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. We got to ask you about that Washington football team. What is something interesting about the Redskins that people should take more note of? So for me, one of the more underrated, underappreciated players in the NFL is Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, He's been in the league for eight years, and he's just been the picture of consistency from a durability and a production standpoint. But the reason is he's not flashy. So for durability, he started all 16 games every season since he got drafted in 2011. Wow. Um, he didn't miss a single snap his rookie season. I remember he didn't miss one until late in his second season. He just he plays, shows up every Sunday, plays every snap, at least early in his career. Uh, he's been a leader by example on a team without much success or example to really follow. Um, but he shows up every Sunday. So from the production side as well, he's sitting between Dexter Manley and Charles Mann. Second all-time in sacks in the franchise. He's seven away from becoming the franchise leader himself. Um, His sack totals have risen steadily since his rookie year of seven and a half. He's gone from there to topping out at 13 and a half. He's had 13 the past couple of years. So he's always sitting in that 
really good, but not really 20 sack season elite level. That says data hub has him as ninth, 14th and eighth in total pressures the past three seasons and his play style and body type make him a stout run defender as well. So he's a total complete player. Uh, but all that being said, he's never really had a been heralded on a national level. He's made four Pro Bowls, but everybody does these days. So, Kerry, in top 15 in pressures each of the last three years, is that what you just last said? Last three years. I don't yep. think anybody would think that kind of off the top of their heads. We don't ever go through the list and say, you know, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, Ryan Kerrigan. But um, and, and maybe we shouldn't put him in, in that sort of no. tier. But I think the next tier right below that, uh, I think he's probably in that mix in a way that, that people might not realize. Most of the guys that you see around him are your – your freak flashy athletes, which is kind of what you see in your typical edge these days. He's a pretty rigid power rusher with a strong arm. arm I think of arm length, length when I think of him. Definitely. Some straight arms around the edge, win with power, win with effort, consistency, motor, all that kind of motor stuff. Motor all day. Um, and so he's got he's had bigger names opposite him, like Brian Arakpo early in his career, or nobody at all without team success. So he's really gone um, unheralded through his career. But he showed up each week and with uh, – with some additions of Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, the first-round rookie this year, Montez Sweat. Um, if that first that front seven is <clears throat> going to be improved lately, uh, they might get some more recognition, and, and so will he for sure. Yeah, that could be really exciting, seeing how he performs. Maybe the pressure share, maybe the amount of pressures for the uh, percentage of the team pressures goes down for Kerrigan, but maybe the 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 way that that front seven plays as a group, it really starts to become something that 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 is more something to watch out for. Yep, definitely. He's uh, and teams in the division know it. Eagles fans in the office here always hate Ryan Kerrigan. They say he's got three sacks a game against him every time. So um, pockets of the nation know about him, but on a national scale, he's a uh, he's just been a consistent, hard-nosed player for eight years. One of the ultimate truisms in sports: if your division rivals hate you, you're doing something right. Thanks, John. All right, up next we have Noah Gatsik. Noah, one of the strongest Philadelphia Eagles fans that you will ever find, a true Nick Foles truther, um, but we're going to let that one slide for right now and here, and, and we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt of, the, of his insight. And Noah, tell me, what is one thing about the Eagles that not enough people realize that more people should be talking about? So I think one thing that's uh, really getting overlooked is uh, Jordan Howard's impact in uh, terms of pass protection. Uh, according to our data hub last year, uh, Jordan Howard, among qualifying running backs, was the third-ranked pass-blocking running back in terms of total points. Um, he had only two blown blocks and over 80 pass protection attempts last year, wow. uh, which is uh, pretty impressive. It's an element that the Eagles really were lacking last year. Uh, he's going to step in and be the best pass-protecting running back the Eagles have had under Doug Peterson. Howard will also be the, the power runner. Everyone knows that. However, the fact that he can stay on the field um, in these passing situations doesn't always mean that they're going to telegraph run when Jordan Howard's on the field, which I think was a false stigma around him last year. Yeah, no, so that's interesting. What you just brought up right there reminds me of my old boss, Mike Lombardi. He, he would say running backs need to block, then they need to catch, and then they need to run. Uh, and having that guy that can block, what's remarkable isn't two blown blocks. That's normal for a running back. The remarkable is the number of pass blocking snaps that he had. Right, yeah, over 80 attempts, only two blown blocks is uh, pretty impressive. And I know they drafted Miles Sanders this year, and everyone should be excited about it, but the biggest hole in his game is pass protection. Right. And uh, so I do think Jordan Howard's going to be able to stay on the field a lot more than people are anticipating. Um, not saying that, you know, obviously Miles Sanders will have a role. The Eagles use running back by committee, but uh, I think everyone is overlooking the fact what Howard will actually bring in terms of pass protection. And as well as let's be honest, the Eagles first, second and third priority has to be protecting Carson Wentz and keeping him healthy throughout the season. And Jordan Howard is going to play a paramount role in, a, in accomplishing this. 
I love it. It's uh, it's really important when you have that running back on the field that you can't just know, you can't just tee off knowing that it's either going to be a handed off or play action and there's nothing else that that can do back there. Makes the offense more multiple, and I think you make a really good point about how that could fit in there. Uh, love the way how he's done just kind of finding these running backs to fit in there. True, true uh, believer in, in the analytics movement there, showing it. Uh, putting his money where his mouth is by not putting his money where his running back is. Yeah, absolutely. I'll follow Howie Roseman wherever he goes. But I do want to say this. Please pay Malcolm Jenkins. We need him. Thanks. We'll keep that public service announcement. I know uh, I know what Jenkins can bring to a team going back to when we were in New Orleans together. Uh, the, the ultimate leader. The ultimate, I mean, I don't know anybody that studies more film than Malcolm Jenkins. Um, so I'm with you there. I can't argue against it. Thanks for coming on, Noah. Thanks, Matt. All right, John Shirley from our R&D department. You are a Packers fan extraordinaire representing your home state of Alaska. Um, wanted to ask you, like we're asking the other guys today, on the team that you're an expert on, the Packers, what is one thing about the Packers that's interesting that not enough people realize or that's, or that's interesting that, that you want them to know about? Really underrated part of the Packers this year is their receivers group. A lot of Packers fans are kind of upset that they didn't draft a receiver or sign anybody to replace Randall Cobb. But it seems like they really like the young group that they drafted last year of Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and uh, St. Brown. They also have Jake Kumaro. There was a practice squad guy that's really made the, uh, made the team last year, and they expect some big things from this year. They also have Geronimo Allison, who was injured a lot of last year. Um, should be an injury risk moving forward, according to our injury expert, John Barros. But if he's healthy, he'll be a real big part of their offense as the number two receiver. Um, and I think this is an underrated group because last year Rodgers didn't, I don't think, really trusted them a lot. Uh, he had a lot of throwaways, a lot of pressures, didn't result from a blown block. Just because he's holding the ball too long, basically, right? Yeah, he's holding the ball. Oh, he's open. Uh, he didn't really have a lot of trust there, so he wasn't going to throw to a guy that might not have been wide, really wide open like he would have Devontae Adams as their number one guy. Right. But according to our total points metric, uh, over the last three seasons, receivers are actually the offensive position that improves the most from their rookie year to their second year. So I would expect a big jump from those three rookies from last year, and I would expect that group to actually be pretty solid regardless that they lost Randall Cobb and didn't really add anybody new to the group. Yeah, a couple of things that you make me think of. I think the Packers, we saw them kind of with their team building approach, look at kind of going small to big. They built up the secondary and the receivers with young guys and then started filling in from there. So they brought in the players actually last year. We might start to see some of those guys, the impact actually matter a little bit more because as you say, the total points, which is measuring, you know, the not just what you do as a receiver in terms of yardage, which is as much the quarterback's responsibility, but figuring out how much the receivers are responsible for versus how much the quarterback's responsible for. for. You said that metric, you, you've done some research and it really shows a big jump from year one to year two for receivers. Yeah, they are. Uh among the offensive positions, they have the largest jump. Uh, that makes sense. You know, we've always thought about that being a, a kind of longer learning curve position, no, no bigger change than from year one to year two as a receiver. And I think a, a kind of truism from when I was in scout circles that you would hear is it takes really three years for receivers to really get. And why does that happen? You spread offenses. It becomes even more of a crazy thing. Reading on the run is really hard as a receiver. It's not something that guys learn to do to read coverages a lot of the time. It's a work in progress when they get to the league. And then, of course, with all the different press that goes on and dealing with these athletes in the secondary, it is not easy to learn how to just get off the line of scrimmage on the NFL level. 
Um, you made me think of my time in New Orleans with Drew Brees and just the relationship that he had with late round or undrafted guys like Marcus Colston and Lance Moore. These these are guys that that uh, were not highly touted coming out, maybe lacked physical skills that some of these guys that, that Rodgers has been working on actually has. But for me, I think it's really important to have that ability to build that trust, to grow with the quarterback and the receiver. That relationship will certainly take two or three years before you really get to the point where you're, you're seeing the same thing that the quarterback's seeing and making the moves automatically. So I'd be really interested in seeing that there. And I'm not betting against Aaron Rodgers. I've seen way too much stuff on Twitter lately where people have been uh, just just punishing Rodgers, saying, you know, he hasn't performed well over the last four years. I think really looking at some basic stats that don't really tell the whole story. I think he's been on lesser offenses than he had been on earlier in his career, which is why he right. doesn't look like he's been as good a, you know, adjusted net yards per attempt quarterback. But um, I do think that we can expect to see a rebound. I'd be betting on the rebound from Rodgers this year and the continued uh, kind of progress as these guys age into an offense with him in a sustainable way, as opposed to being, high price free agents that they just can't afford to keep. Right. And I think a lot of that last year in the last couple of years is Rodgers has been hurt. Uh, last year they moved to more of a vertical offense. So he had to hold the ball even longer than he would. And then he add on top of that, didn't really trust the receivers as much. So I don't think last year is indicative of really what they can do as an offense moving forward. All right, John Shirley, one of our best scouts here on charting the games on that side and one of our up-and-coming research analysts over on the research side. There's nobody better to talk to if you're looking for some deep insight on the Packers. Thanks for coming through. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everybody, that's our show for the day. I want to thank Justin, Dan, John Todd, Noah, and John Shirley, all the guys for coming on today and offering their wisdom. Really interesting. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Next week, we'll expect to have Aaron back and we'll be back to our usual thing, breaking down the offseason and getting you all prepared for the football Outsiders Almanac, which will be coming out soon. In the meantime, please make sure to subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, let people know about the Off the Charts football podcast. And of course, check out Mark Simon's Sports Info Solutions baseball podcast, also available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great week and we'll be back in seven days. Bye.